Ethan, I know I have a lot of these, but I, I might have a theoretical moral dilemma. Let's hear it. So I'm opposed to the idea of the government giving out free money, right? Like that's objectively <laughs> terrible for the economy. Okay, go on. But president-elect Joe Biden wants to send me $2,000 and my wife $2,000. Okay, so there's a really simple way to solve this one. Should I give it to you? you well, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say accept it, but I'm, not, I'm definitely not opposed to the idea. <laughs> I could use that. I know. Couldn't we all? I mean, I, honestly, it's not really a moral dilemma, but I do think it's terrible for the economy. I mean, we're like, there's no way this is not going to come back to bite us with inflation. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're giving $2,000 to every eligible American, then that should stimulate the economy because it's going to cause more spending. Right, but it's also watering down the value of the dollar, and we're going to see prices skyrocket, and we're, we don't have anything backing our money anyway, and now we're printing more money. Like there, There's a limit to just how much value fiat money can hold. Right, and I'm sure we could go on about this for the rest of the time, but we've got an even more pressing topic to discuss today, which is... Resolved. On balance, the benefits of urbanization in West Africa outweigh the harm. I love this one. I'm excited about this one. I know. Uh, urbanization, West Africa, a clear weighing resolution. What's not to love? And we, so we worked on this one yesterday in the debate elective. We got, I think, two and a half pages of cards cut so far, something like that. And there's a lot of interesting avenues to take with this one. It's, a, it's like a, clearly a globalization topic. How, are, how is West Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa going to fit into the global economy? But there's so many specific things to be considered. This is like, you imagine the American Industrial Revolution, right, is associated with urbanization and people moving to cities. And then you just have the whole thing done over in a different country. What did we see from there? What did we see from industrialization in Europe that we could tweak to make this the best possible process for urbanization in West Africa? What does it look like when you start completely over? Which is, of course, a planner's dream to have mm. like a blank canvas, but you can't just be all pie in the sky with this. We've also got to keep in mind the unique conditions of West Africa, the problems uh, that urbanization without lots and lots of capital carries, and the dangers of foreign encroachment. And what happens if China is funding all of this? Like, there, there's a lot to do. There's this. I think this is a surprisingly interesting resolution. It's surprisingly interesting and surprisingly broad, but not broad in the bad sense that we would usually accuse a resolution of being broad in. Like this right. is such. This is broad with the potential for actually well-developed arguments and several different avenues for resolutions. I'm super super happy with this one for a public forum one. I actually like this one. I agree. Let's uh, let let's start with our due diligence on definitions. I think key terms that lead out some, leap out to me, of course, are on balance. Definitely that gives us we've got an initial weighing framework, uh, and we have a benefits harms is our the sides of the scale. Right. Uh, we have literally the verb outweigh. Our subject here is well. I, the technical grammatical subject is benefits, but what we're actually talking about is urbanization in West Africa. Uh, I've seen a couple different sites. I looked trying to figure out how precise West Africa is. I know you were saying yesterday it's generally sub-Saharan Africa. That's that. I think that's what's going to get it watered down to. It probably is, but I do think it's worth just keeping in mind that at least geographically there is a pretty distinct region or group of countries that are like the western half of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, we are dealing more with uh, probably Cameroon than we are with um, Kenya, for example. I mean, because there's, there's Central African countries, there are Eastern African countries. So I think we are dealing with those Sub-Saharan countries that are distinctively on the Western, right. pan, not really a panhandle, but the Western 
knob section know, of the African yeah, yeah, continent. Uh, yeah. So, other, any other thoughts on are, are those about it for key terms? Is it, the definitions are so nice in this resolution, so simple. I mean, <laughs> and my mind, of course, is going straight to LD. It's like, well, there's cost of questionism would be a perfect way, like perfect value here, <laughs> or like you know utilitarianism. But no, we're not doing that, and it's kind of just implied, which is even better, right? So you get rid of the rid of the whole um, framing in the LD sense and get to move it more to the public forum sense, which is nice and again right because there i mean there is still framing but it's not i was just reading a an article a couple of debaters put out about theory ld theory which is really policy theory creeping in that's crept into ld now creeping into public forum we're not really advocating anything like that i'm not suggesting that debaters should carve out one of their precious four minutes in the one yeah, yeah, really yeah. constructive speech don't worry about giving a framing necessarily, but I do think uh, there are some implicit uh, framing considerations that are packed into that idea of urbanization that we probably ought to spend a moment on. Yeah, urbanization of West Africa. And I think that neither of these you're gonna need to dig terribly far to get a solid definition for. I would just go, you know, Merriam-Webster, knock out yep. urbanization, find a good definition for West Africa. Don't feel obligated to list off every single country that's involved in West Africa, because you could just go to the predicate of the resolution and be like, right. okay, which ones are urbanizing? That's probably the ones the resolution talking about a quick google search turned up several different sites that have listed these booming cities in Af west africa and the pictures are so cool they're so cool well it's i mean just... I, we may have been looking at we must be looking at different sites because i saw some that are clearly beneficiaries of a lot of capital investment yes but others that are these miles and miles of shanty towns yes. and slums I don't remember which city it was, but one city has, it's recognizably has one of the largest slums in the world with 4 million inhabitants of a slum. All right, so part of this, I think, is really interesting in that you get, uh, you have, part of what's going on with Africa in the 21st century is that Africa is sort of leaping a lot of the uh, periodic economic development that has been noted in Western countries, where if you'll uh, pardon me for a brief history moment. No, yo, you are well pardoned. Okay. Uh, so what you have going on in uh, really particularly in Britain and then eventually in the United States, uh, you have this clear movement from an agrarian society to an industrialized society to an urban society and then eventually to a whatever we're in now. An which information is, economy? I was thinking technocratic. Yeah. I like information economy. Um, current theorists have called this something like the fourth industrial revolution. I saw that phrase in one of the articles yesterday. Africa is sort of leapfrogging a lot of that where what you get in Amer the Americans kind of method of industrialization was moments where it seemed like people were flocking to the cities, but then those cities systematically built up in terms of roads and hospitals and train stations and airports and uh, all of the infrastructure that makes a city work, which there's so much behind the scenes stuff that honestly, I have no idea how plumbing got built, but I'm really glad that it did. Mm -hmm. And without uh, someone in the city planning office keeping up with, okay, we have 100,000 more people here. Are we, do we have enough septic tanks in this section of the county? We could literally be flooded with poop and pee without those kinds of things in place. What you have going on in Africa is in, you have very lopsided development throughout the continent. And particularly in Western Africa, you have this movement from a largely agrarian economy that struggles with huge natural disasters uh, and famine when there are sustained periods of drought and so on, to now suddenly mass movement to cities where there is opportunity. 
But the problem with that kind of mass urbanization movement is that you don't have the infrastructure building up to accommodate, say, 10 million more humans living within uh, 80 square miles or something like that. And the entire question that this resolution is asking is, despite all of those extenuating circumstances, extra circumstances that Africa has to deal with, is urbanization still worth it? And my, my, the main place my mind goes to is like, how do you say, how do you say no to that in the long term? Like, does, is that implying that Africa should sort of go back to an all agrarian society and remain that way for the rest of time? Or like, if you say that the harms outweigh the benefits, then are you insinuating that we should go back and we should stay where we are? Like, that doesn't seem like a really great place either. What's negatives reach? I guess you could say like, what's the, not solvency, but what are you doing if you're just halting progress? Like, what are you supposed to do? Well, I mean, for starters, I would start with on con recognizing that the con side does not have the burden to assert a negative solvency in a way. I guess, yeah. I don't have to say what Africa should do instead. All My only burden on con is to show that actually harms outweigh the benefits. That just seems like a cliffhanger. Like, that just seems, like, incomplete. Welcome to human life as we're changing circumstances. I mean, like, um, honestly, uh, I've already been a history teacher on this episode. I'll be a literature teacher for a moment. Uh, the uh, If you want to get kind of a, a quick, not quick, but a good grasp on uh, kind of the, the harms of fast industrialization, uh, nothing beats uh, Charles Dickens' novel Hard Times and its description of mill work, uh, mill towns in the 19th century, where you get really fast capitalistic growth that has zero concern for human quality of life. And so I think that's, that's part of where I would go on con is to consider, okay, the dream of, the dream of uh, huge economic growth is really enticing, but at what cost? So how many people, if I'm going to move to the big city, the risk is that I'm going to be one of a million, two million people who are never going to have my big break. Maybe I am one of those ones who gets a big break, but am I going to even have a sustainable quality of life in that, or am I just going to be lost in the grist? I like it. So, I mean, I, I'm a little dissatisfied with the negative position, just being like, the harms outweigh the benefits. Like, oh well. I mean, but if the benefits outweigh the harms, like, yeah, keep urbanizing. You kind of like have somewhere to attach that to, action-based in your head. But again, that's not the way a debate plays out in the real world. And right. it, it just it feels not right. But if that's just a reminder to the negative, to establish your burdens and don't let people push you to act on the negative side. You're just pushing to negate the affirmative side, essentially, and outweigh. That's your obligation. Your obligation is to right. prove anything different, even though that's what most people's heads might go to. I mean, I think your benefits are your benefits are relatively straightforward. We're talking about there's a basketball game right next yeah, to the it's, We're, it's, we're in my classroom me. today, and I'm not going to edit this out. So just in case anybody's like, what's happening? Just pretend like they're clapping for us. That's right. Also, our team must be winning. I can't see the score, but I'm sure we're winning. Anyway, um, I would assert that the benefits are probably going to be a bit more individualistic and economic in nature. Uh, and uh, But your harms are probably going to be systemic and are going to be, you're, you have access to a lot more environmental harms, I would imagine. Uh, there's, if anybody listening uh, particularly loves ecology or biology, you could probably get some great stuff about the unique ecosystems that, of West Africa, and then the way urbanization is destroying those ecosystems. 
Uh, that can give you access. I'm sure there's a climate change link just begging to be like picked up mm. and cuddled close by like every debater ever on con for oh, this yeah. resolution. So how about we start thinking about some specific directions, I guess you could say, on affirmative and negative. Let's start with affirmative. Do you have, what does your mind automatically run to? Maybe two, three arguments that would be good when you think of benefits of urbanization in West Africa. Probably my initial thought there is going to be, um, I might look at spread of democracy and establishment of rule of law. As I'm drawing this mostly from a history class I took on uh, modern 20th century African history. Um, one of the big problems with Africa has been the continuation of big man rule where tribal leaders are still the ones who can organize uh, armed forces and maintain power in a dictatorial way. And then you also get those same leaders then become the ones who are in or involved in uh, kind of running the political system as it stands. And then uh, so the prop twin problems of big man rule and corruption are endemic to African politics. Well, when you one of the interesting things that tends to happen as you get to larger uh, urban centers is that those sorts of particular local personality driven power politics, they change. It's not that they disappear, but they are less prevalent. And what you get instead are less personal, more system systematic approaches that tend towards the increase of rule of law. So I would see that as a major gain. Um, you could also, um, you might also, you could also certainly look at. I I don't know this. I, I think you might be about to read us some evidence. I've got cards. Good. Packed up. We'll get me. to some in just a second. But I, you could certainly also look at uh, increases in education, increases in access to hospitalization and modern medical mm. care, uh, increases in sort of the access to the global economy that a city allows that really uh, tribal or town level living doesn't do. So all of those are areas I would look at at pro. What, what other sides would you look to, Ethan? Um, I, I think the pro needs to take, what, surprisingly in this debate, the more strong-fisted approach. You usually see Khan being like, in the status quo, it's, it's like even though these harms may exist on the pro side, it, I should still win because you, it, it's almost like you just have to suck it up because the, the status quo is better and that plan won't work. The affirmative, or sorry, the pro in this case, I think has to be more of the suck it up sort of side. Like, grow, it, it's like growing pains, essentially, which is a very, very euphemistic way to put it because urbanization can have some serious, seriously negative effects. But if you're ever going to progress to the goal of tapping into the global economy, which is literally like liquid gold to a developing country, then you're going to, it, it's gonna hurt. Like there's gonna be growing pains. There's gonna be inequalities that are created that exist in a capitalistic society that unless there's constraints put on it, which I would argue that wouldn't necessarily work anyways. The definition of a, ca a growing capitalist society is that inequalities are created, some will move up higher than others. And that's just sort of the approach that I think affirmative will need to swallow, in a sense, in order to gain access to some of those benefits. So too tangential, possibly too theoretical to really be valuable in this kind of PF round. Thoughts off of that. Um, did you ever see, did you see the movie Black Panther? Yes. Which as a side oh, note, such a good the, movie. Uh, the actor who plays uh, the King of Wakanda just passed away mm -hmm. last year, Chad somebody. Yeah. Um, did you know he was an NSDA guy? You said that to me. Yeah, yeah you did he was point a, that uh, out. That was great. He, he did dramatic interp at nationals back in the 90s. That is I was so just like, cool. I love finding like famous people who do this. and like, ha, look at that. This is not Maybe just we'll some be famous one day. Oh my goodness, that would be weird. Anyway, um, 
one of the things I thought was fascinating about Black Panther was that you see um, Black Panther shows you a really interesting Wakanda where you have an African country that is clearly higher than normal Western countries in terms of its technology. And you see sort of this uh, blend of ecological responsibility and technological superiority in the design of their city. Well, Wakanda there, in a sense, is a dream. Like, there are no African cities that actually look like that. But I think there'd be an interesting argument to be made on pro that urbanization is a way that West African countries can take their place in the global community through attracting investments and developing natural industries. They can do that, but... On the flip side, and I see you wanted to jump in. Yeah, just for something small, but yeah. Okay, on the flip side, um, I would want, I, and again, Neg would need to figure out how on earth to make this actually stick, but you could make, I think there's an interesting argument to be made there from a post-colonialist critical theory position to basically argue that our picture of a successful city is basically based on London and Paris, and it's a it's a vision that the colonialist imperializing There's, forces there you go. sort you gave of it established. To you gave it to them. Now they're going to run with it. I so I mean, like, if anybody's looking for that sort of um, why is oh, it so goodness. wrong to just like take like look at a, a city that did well and just be like, yeah, there you go, like, well done, London, or I don't know. I just well, have to be post-colonialist. Oh, by no means am I encouraging anyone to be post-colonialist, but I do think the, the argument is there, and at least um, you didn't ask, but I'm going to go ahead and give it. My, my position on like, post-colonialist theory is that it's really easy to misapply, but there are a very few places where you are dealing with a place that used to be ruled by a colonialist power, and how you interpret that location's dreams of itself is inextricable from the colonialization in its past. Yeah, agreed. They're so totally good. This is a place where I do see a little bit of place for this. That like when you're dealing with West African countries, you can't deal with uh, Algeria is not really one of them, but it's the one that I know enough about to make the argument. You can't deal with Algeria without France in its history. Yeah. So Algerian identity is tied to the French language and French culture in a unique way. So I think if you're dealing with West Africa, you do also have to deal with the fact that like our mental picture as Westerners, as Americans, is fundamentally shaped by Western cities. What would an African city that was not shaped by those Western concepts look like? I don't know the answer to that question. That'd be an interesting, I'd love to see like some book, some, you know, like creative author sort of write. I would imagine if anybody's listening and wants to check this out, I would look at some of the African Union uh, resources and see, I am sure, surely someone has kind of put together a uniquely African vision of a city. But it's also important to keep in mind that even our name African, uh, much like the uh, name Indian, is itself a very large construct. Uh, mm-hmm. There was in the uh, 1950s, there was an American ethnologist who tried to map out, who created a map. It's a fascinating color-coded map where it's all different shades of red to create a sense of unity. But each tribe gets a different shade of red. There's over 500 different tribes on this one continent that uh, I think the Portuguese named it first. And they were just like, Africa. <laughs> that whole landmass is Africa. So when you talk about African unity, that's in itself is also a construct in a real in a very real way. You actually deal with African politics, you've got every country has its colonial past, but also the indigenous tribes that make it up. 
people who moved around, different language groups, and then different religious groups as well. And all of that makes this huge, complicated, beautiful mess. Massive cultural diversity. It's like, huge, you, maybe you can huge. get away with naming the massive landmass. Like, okay, this geographic area on the map is Africa. But when you look at it, I mean, couldn't it, the whole no. decentralized, like, it, it couldn't be more different. I mean, there's a, and there's a long-standing argument that northern Africa, north of the Sahara, is basically southern Europe. And that given that it was part of the Roman Empire and tied to the Mediterranean world. But anyway, we are digressing very oh, yeah. that far was, that from was the fun. resolution. That was fun. And yeah, it, I think it's definitely worth pointing out the post-colonialist approach to that. And if, if any resolution could have it applied well, it's definitely this one. Um, Though again, uh, debaters, please, please, please. Evidence matters way more than having like a cool theory point in public, th in public forum. So... Weight your evidence and value your time because you have a precious four minutes to make your case. To sort of like put a golden bow on whatever that affirmative like rant was, look like look towards the dream, look towards what Africa could be based on what it is. Like again, that whole sort of spiel we went we went on about what exactly does it mean to say that Africa is Africa, the different tribal groups. I was actually going to make a point about the natural resources. Mm, we talk sure. about Africa. Maybe it's not vibranium like it is in Wakanda, <laughs> but there, Africa has access to massive, massive amounts of natural resources that give it like great potential in the global market, especially as globaliza globalization is now like the, the big story of the modern world, essentially. Um, there's great potential for Afri Africa to grow as a whole in terms of wealth and for it to be better for all of the citizens. It's just going to take some time to get there and hopefully the right constraints on that growth. That's a cool water bottle. The, uh, the right constraints on that growth process to make it as least painful as possible and most beneficial as possible. So there's plenty of arguments to be made on affirmative there. there Eco definitely economic, definitely individual, and the affirmative is going to need to be ready to defend against all of those little nitpicky things that the neg is going to say. It's like, well, what about you know, climate? What about slums? What about this? It's like, well, yeah, everything good ha comes at a cost. It's like you're not just going to get this perfect. I mean, just look at what happened in Europe and America, industrialization, like child labor, all of these like dangerous factories to work in. You, the, the natural progression of this sort of thing happens to be where you sort of get a chaotic push forward and then, you know, morality is an afterthought. It's like, okay, let's reel it in a little bit, but it's never control it as it goes. It's always like, okay, like we busted through, we've got all of this progress. Some people are getting, you know, making fortunes for the next four generations of their family. And then we need to reel it in a little bit and think about how are we gonna get this accessible to the rest of society. If that's the nature of how urbanization, industrialization, you know, wealth building through capitalism goes and it's sort of inevitable, then maybe there's a way that we can account for that on affirmative, or maybe it's just too negative of a process overall, which is where we need to harp on on con. And there's, I've, I, I've realized that every card on this entire document is a con card. So you'll have no evidence, or no, not no evidence, no trouble finding evidence for the con side. A couple of the popular points you're gonna run into is um, Sub-Saharan Africa urbanization increases susceptibility to climate change. Um, when you have everybody packed into one area with whatever sort of structural integrity of the buildings that currently exist in Africa is um, lacking adequate infra infrastructure to deal with this sort of thing. Um, when you talk about things like flood insurance or, and, and stuff like that, just all of the things that you kind of take for granted in the developed world when it comes to dealing with these sorts of things, responses from the government, like, you know, Red Cross, all this stuff that we think about in the United States, um, you need to put it in a context of the climate that Africa has on a yearly basis and think about, well, if we're urbanizing, we're packing all these people into one area, can we, can we support them when disaster strikes? 
which is more common in that area. I mean, that's where all hurricanes form, is right on the lower part, right next to Africa, right? So that's one, the one, thing, one thing to think about, the economic damages. Um, one resource I found was from CSIS website, which I don't even know what that stands for. Um, we could even put the PDF in the, in the link, or yep. not in the link, in the comments if we wanted to. I could read the card as I cut it. It says, urban centers lacking access to adequate infrastructure are more likely to be impacted by natural disasters. Uh, it cites the World Bank from 2013. Uh, gives an example of Dakar, so it seems like a pretty decent overview of what climate change, or not climate change, what natural disaster would look like in the context of sub-Saharan Africa and urbanization. Well, we have lots of examples, too, of the United States of just how diff difficult it is for cities when natural disasters strike and how much effort it takes to rebuild. I'm thinking of New Orleans, yep. um, and uh, I think Houston, yeah, had, Houston. Uh, ton, had huge flooding a couple years ago. I mean, it, it takes enormous resources. Uh, I mean, and mobilization of the surrounding country and government, uh, different governmental forces to come in, both private and public, to kind of rebuild. And in the absence of those, that kind of devastation can wipe out decades of economic progress in mere weeks. Right. And I've got another one. Uh, we mentioned slums earlier. Again, I, I really just see this as an inevitable consequence of urbanization. It's like when you pack more people into one area, you can't go ahead and say something. Well, first. I was saying the question there becomes like, does urbanization, what you're looking at right now, at least the stuff I was reading yesterday about this was suggesting that part of what is needed is a lot more urban planning. Yes. Where what you currently have is sort of a natural movement of people where, in ways that like nobody can really track, messages spread amongst a younger generation. There's opportunity in City X. So everyone moves to City X, and then City X suddenly has an extra million people that no one ever planned for. Um, I'm, I'm really, I don't know enough about urban planning to know if it really works the way what I was reading suggested does, but the theory is that like, if urban planning is kind of structured and paced out, uh, the resources to support those people can be done as the population grows, but that requires massive capital investment up front. Right, and are, is that something that we're expecting to happen naturally in, the, in Africa's sort of decentralized economy as it is now? Or are we expecting Western countries to you know, give capital investment? I'm not saying make a whole plan out of this, but think about the context. What happens to money that's sent to Africa? I think there's a corruption argument, right? There's to be made a somewhere. very clear, clear corruption, corruption argument to be argument, made in there. Yeah. There's actually a card in here for that too. Um, but the one about slums, also from the same PDF that I talked about before, talks about how as, as of 2014, 55% of Sub-Saharan Africa urban population were living in slums. So the majority of Sub-Saharan African population living in slums as of, I guess it's 2014. So a little okay. outdated, trying to find some new numbers. Um, I could even expect it to be higher if there's more urbanization. Um, and this process hasn't reversed into a more productive state yet. You can still see more people living in slums. Find some impacts for that. It's super easy to just say the word slum and move on. It's a lot different to actually draw out a picture of what dire poverty looks like in the wake of urbanization. Um, there's a really big, there's a good term for it also is urban sprawl mm -hmm. um, that is talked a lot about. You could literally just type in sub-Saharan African urban sprawl and find a ton of resources, a ton of cards that talk about famine, the inability to distribute food when you pack a ton of people into one area. And keep in mind when you're urbanizing and people are coming to the cities for economic opportunities, that reduces the amount of agricultural production in the surrounding areas and it takes a while to strike a balance between the two. So all of these things, consequences of urbanization, can we just implement city planner and fix it all? I don't well, know. I mean, and, and, but that too goes to a greater I mean, that goes to another difficulty that African countries have had, again, for decades, 
I mean, and the, diff- the question is, like, as you move into a contemporary economy, well, I mean, let's just take the problem of um, airplane construction, for example. I, uh, it, it takes an immense amount of preparation for someone to know how to build an airplane and to have aerospace engineers who can design, who can continue improving aircraft and so on. Well, how do you get that? Well, part of that is building the educational infrastructure that equips people to be at the cutting edge of that. And then, but you also need a surrounding economy that has enough mobility and financial resources to enable people to get to the point where they could be become an airplane engineer or whatever that high level job is. So how do you get that in an urban economy without already having all of those components in place? Like it becomes really tricky. So I'm not trying to suggest it's like, oh, well, hi, if this city just had an urban planner, all the problems would go away. I mean, instead, I mean, just think about the difficult, I mean, we have a doctor shortage in the United States right now. There's no shortage of medical programs in universities. There's an immense shortage of money to help people go get the medical degrees that they want. And a huge problem of physician burnout because they're graduating with so much debt, they have to go work for companies they don't want to work for. So they burn themselves out in 10 years, pay off their loans and have an MD, but are done being doctors. Well, I mean, like, so what do you do with, you have this many millions of people and now disease is spreading throughout the city, but you don't have the resources to deal with it. Like, all of that becomes really tricky. The trick, I guess, is is time. I mean, time, investment, planning, making mistakes. Try. I mean, it, that's sort of the, the cycle, the, right. the way it works in the, in the rest of the world. And I guess it could look different because now we have, a again, a globalized economy where perhaps you could learn some lessons from what's happened in other areas, but that's not to say that all the problems will simply be solved by looking at previous examples. I mean, it's, right, it's literally building an entire like new network that's gonna plug into the global right. economy eventually. So it's, now, it's a big one question. other, and I think we, we focus mostly on theory on pro, because we, we haven't researched pro yet, but one other um, con argument that I think could be made real, in a really interesting way. Um, I, I've been, interested in uh, the human trafficking question with uh, particularly, uh, it's a global problem, but a lot of that runs through Africa and Asian countries. Uh, the, uh, I found one website that was looking, yesterday, looking at, uh, it's not a huge percentage, less than 10% of human trafficking runs through West African countries, but of the human trafficking that happens in West Africa, far the vast majority of it is forced labor and forced marriages. So it's not like sex trafficking into brothels or, any, or things like that. Uh, that that's, a, that's a problem in different countries. Here, it's much more this cultural practices that they're definitely out of line with mainstream uh, Western values and the general consensus view of human rights. So part of what you've also got to deal with, I mean, I think there's a pro and con argument here. On pro, if you can show the, if you can find evidence linking urbanization to an increased view of human rights and a decrease in these objectively bad things like forced human servitude or slavery, uh, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, if you can show that urbanization leads to the decre- decline in that, that could be a solid argument. There's a super, super strong trend in, in correlation, connection, whatever you want to call it, between increased wealth in a country and an increased perception of human rights. I mean, you could look to the United States, the creation of the United Nations and the, the whole, you know, doctrine on human rights that it's outlined 
um, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits that you can connect to human rights and like and there's a lot of benefits you can connect to building wealth in a in a society like period, but to sort of give negative or con like a way to come back from that is don't just assume getting richer makes things better or and and first of all don't just assume that you know urbanization is going to get you richer and I think one of the the coolest ways to get at that is actually with the climate argument talking about putting all these people in one area there is literally not even close to enough resources to accommodate for natural disaster mm. with urbanization like we deal with this better in the agrarian society with people spread out at least and there's not all this you know infrastructure to rebuild or what infrastructure we do have how are we going to get it back how are we going to make sure that every year our progress isn't being knocked backwards or even taking steps in the negative direction uh to making urbanization effective eliminating slums like this isn't just a simple rising tide lifts all boats there's still restrictions on you know total free market in africa um there's government corruption in africa that hinders the process so khan needs to dig into the specifics of what is western africa's situation and how is X, Y, and Z factor, corruption, climate, slums, you have it, going to affect urbanization in West Africa? This is, you need to be ultra-specific. Not like abusively ultra-specific, but ultra-specific on con, so that pro can't just run away with a, you know, wealth, human rights argument, or wealth that rising tide lifts all boats, everybody's going to be richer, plugged into the global economy, like, all of that stuff. There's too many general arguments to be made on pro. Focus on the specifics on con. I think is the best strategy for con. And for pro, anything? I mean, I think for a pro, focus on the fact that I honestly, since I shelled out a post-colonialist argument, I'll give the response to it. Uh, if I, I'm pro, I think you need to focus on the fact that it's Africa's, this is Africa's opportunity to really develop a whole different, a whole new future that really is unforeseen, uh, where Africa is the leading center of global cities where these, and there's a whole new realm of human possibilities. Um, I think there's also, there's an interesting arguments to be made. There's plenty of people who have talked about the fact that people are actually the greatest resource on the planet. And so that as you gather people together in cities, you multiply the possibilities of what can be accomplished. So really as you're increasing urbanization, you're increasing future possibilities. So what you may end up having is that Khan has a ton of specific impacts that they can give you. They can give you measurable, quantifiable data on. But what Pro is going to, what I think Pro can do, it's hard. It's very hard to make this kind of argument work. But if you can make it work, it's, uh, it's fantastic. If Pro can really spell out the ability to create future possibilities and the fact that those are as infinite as human creativity is, you can really, you can create an answer in response and you can win with a greater number of future possibilities against uh, a bunch of future negative consequences. Essentially just saying don't halt progress just because it hurts, just because there's harms associated uh, with kind something of. I, I like doesn't your, mean that you shouldn't do it. Yeah, I like your growing pains analogy. Mm -hmm. I think that's effective. It's a little bit too light, but it, it does work, I, I think guess, it can, analogy. Yeah. I think it can work. Uh, Honestly, I think that's everything I could think to say on Yeah, just don't, don't, on pro, don't relinquish the, I mean, draw out, draw out the benefits of globalization, right? Like, I mean, in the past, you wouldn't recognize it as globalization, you just recognize it as the building of a, you know, free society, free market society. This is plugging Africa into a global network. Quite literally. Like, also, if anybody's interested in the Africa's version of Amazon, it's called Jumia. On the stock market, it's J-M-I-A is the ticker symbol. Um, it is super cool what they're doing. They're literally like Amazon and DoorDash together 
just for Africa. It's, it's kind of like the coolest thing ever. Um, and they're publicly traded on the stock market, so if anyone's interested in investing. But I'm not, totally not pitching for Jumia, and no, I'm not, I don't own any shares, so we're not trying to inflate the for, price. Uh, Ethan no, stock tips. At, no, don't, uh... don't buy that. I'm not, okay, now I actually have to do this. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not recommending it. I just think it's a cool company to look up. But again, just to draw like a picture using Jumia as an example of all of the massive wealth, potential, opportunity, um, globalized gain that's sitting right in front of Africa, is, is to be recognized and to be um, striven for, I would say. And, and, and that's just the nature of progress. Like, Africa's not gonna look the same 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. So how are we gonna harness all of the opportunity in front of us to make this the best economy that it could possibly be? And that's the nature of progress. That's how it's going to end up, whether Neg or Khan likes it or not. We're not just gonna, you know, put a peg in it. It's like, already everybody go back to the farms. Like, we're just gonna try doing agrarian stuff again. Like something's going to happen. How do we best take advantage of the opportunity to make it the best outcome possible? There's so much good stuff to look towards on pro, to look towards on the pro side. And Khan, get specific. I mean, look at the, the look at the specific factors in the African economy, the African environment that would possibly add extra harm to the growing pains. I guess if you want to use the analogy. And I think this could be a really interesting resolution. I'm going to make you read some Wendell Berry poetry about going back to the farm and embracing the good that is the agrarian lifestyle before you graduate. But that's okay. a discussion for another day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this episode of What's the Res? Uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed discussing uh, West African urbanization. And hey, who knows? Maybe someday we can go visit some of these uh, booming cities that in West Africa. That would be so Africa. cool. So uh, cool. And if any of you have any questions, comments, um, anything you want to say about the episode, be sure to email us at whatstheres.gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstheres underscore. And check out our website, www.whatstheres.com. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.